Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Hope you're enjoying your weekend. Today, some of our continuing coverage of Kentucky's 2019 campaign. The primary coming up May 21st. Democratic candidate for governor Rocky Adkins is here. Adkins is the Democratic leader in the State House of Representatives where he has served since the mid-1980s. Some observers say Adkins stands a good chance in the fall if he can win the Democratic primary. Adkins is positioned as a moderate on most issues and pro-life, which some say couldn't somewhat neutralize abortion as a factor in the race. But in the four-way Democratic primary, Adkins faces a perceived front-runner in Andy Bashir, whose last name is well-known because of his father being a recent two-term governor, and he's a statewide office holder himself. And former state auditor Adam Elan has been energizing progressives with his message about renewable energy and lobbyist reform. Adkins has a folksy ad on air right now where he picks with a bluegrass band, introduces himself, and still manages to take a swipe at Republican Governor Matt Bevin. Candidate for Governor Rocky Adkins here. Welcome. Thanks for coming in. It's good to be here, Bill. Thanks for having me. So really what people have seen of your campaign in recent weeks has been that spot. Uh, there you are with the bluegrass uh, band and so forth, and you do that when you're out on the campaign stump uh, sometimes. Uh, so are you positioning yourself as a, sort of a, a rural candidate for governor? Well, I am a rural candidate, but we're covering all of Kentucky, of course. That ad is titled, Do You Know Me? And it's really to give an introduction of who I am and what I'm about. And we talk a lot about my life, uh, my battle with cancer, my college basketball days at uh, Moorhead State University. Yeah, I like to pick a little bluegrass music. That's uh, a lot of who I am as well. And But I am from rural Kentucky, and uh, rural Kentucky uh, should be a good base for me. But we're campaigning hard in urban areas of Kentucky as well. We have strong organization, and I'm proud to announce a strong organization in all 120 counties. So that ad is about uh, Do You Know Me? And I think it's a good introductory ad, and we'll be coming with other advertisement after that. Can you win progressive voters in a primary, or especially in the fall if you win the primary, uh, when you are uh, pro-life and pro-coal? Well, I don't think there's any question that I can because of my experience and proven leadership in the Kentucky House of Representatives. I've fought hard for public education and educators all across this great commonwealth. I've stood up for working families when this governor has tried to hurt them with his agenda and his policies. Uh, also, the attempt by the governor to take 100,000 people off the health care rolls. I think that's bad policy. I don't think it's good for Kentucky. Bill, I sit here as a 24-year cancer survivor, and I understand the importance of health care. You know, I've had needles in my arms. I've had chemo. I've had radiation. And the importance of health care, just not for the health care of families all across Kentucky, but for the health care industry that employs thousands of people. One of the greatest economic drivers we have in Kentucky is the health care industry, from nurses to doctors to secretaries. Secretaries, if you take some of the rural areas of this state, uh, for the first time, the only growth they've seen in any type of uh, uh, economic increase or uh, uh, jobs or uh, capital construction, the, the, you know, the greatest uh, economic driver that we've seen in some of those rural areas has been the healthcare industry. Matter of fact, in eastern Kentucky, where I'm from, the downturn in the coal economy, if it had not been for the growth of the healthcare industry and the addition of jobs there, we would have seen a total collapse. So if we ever lose our rural hospitals, uh, we are in big trouble as far as an economic driver goes. And I happen to believe that if we're not looked at as a world-class public education system here in Kentucky, 
and we don't have a healthy healthcare industry, it's going to be impossible for us to keep the jobs we have, but also recruit the jobs of tomorrow to come to Kentucky to build and diversify economies all across Kentucky. Representative Adkins, as you know, the governor has been for uh, work requirements or volunteer requirements for people to qualify for Medicaid. Do you, uh, you oppose that notion? Well, what I would say, you know, the waiver that he put in to require Medicaid with work requirements, what we have seen back from the information we've received, it would cost more to implement the oversight of that program than it does to allow people uh, of over 100,000 to have their health care and be able to take care of themselves and be able to take care of their families. Most of these folks who he's talking about are already working two jobs. Most of these folks are trying to take care of their families for the first time with proper health care. And to be able to do that, it saves money in the long run, in my opinion. And again, we help rural hospitals across Kentucky be able to keep the jobs that they've got and keep that economic growth continuing in the healthcare industry that is so vital, but also to keep a healthy Kentucky as we move into the future. In some of your appearances, you have talked about being able to compromise with Republicans and get things done. Is compromise something that is uh, missing from the state capitol right now? Well, I don't think there's any question about that. We've got a governor who has super majorities in both chambers and he still can't govern. Uh, you're looking at somebody sitting here that's been in leadership now for over 15 years, approaching 16 years of my legislative career. Uh, you're looking at a person that brings that experience and that uh, proven leadership that's gotten results in the past. You're looking at a person here that uh, knows how to write a budget. You're looking at a person here that knows how to make state government work. And you're looking at the one person in this race that does have relationships in the House and the Senate of the Kentucky General Assembly that has worked across party aisles in the past and knows how to work across party aisles in the future. That's what I bring to this race. I bring to this race about being able to bring compromise to be able to get results for the people of Kentucky and all across communities of Kentucky. Do you believe your nomination could largely neutralize the abortion issue in the fall? Uh, you have a mostly pro-life voting yes. record. Uh, do you think that that is something that distinguishes you within this primary? Well, I think it could definitely neutralize that, but uh, I think when you talk about pro-life, it's much more than that. It's about being for pre-K funding, as I've been in budgets past, to make sure we have children <coughs> three and four years old able to go to uh, uh, pre-K and start their education. It's about somebody like me that was for House Bill 1 to uh, allow for adoptions to take place and uh, foster parents. It's about somebody like me that's willing to stand up for a strong public education system and hopefully these children would have a strong public education system and also have quality health care and be in a home where we can put uh, a warm food on the table and a roof over their head. I think that's what I'm talking about when I talk about that issue and yes I think that I'm the candidate that can go into to November as a moderate middle-of-the-road common-sense candidate that can draw not only Democrat votes but also be able to to get Republican votes. I've got Republican voters approaching me every day that say, Rocky, we're going to be for you if you get through this primary. So I think that I'm the candidate that can go and bring back votes that Democrats have been losing in November. I think I'm the person that can solidify that, and that's the reason I think I can beat Matt Bevin. Democratic candidate Andy Bashir has come out uh, fully for uh, expanded gambling for casinos and, uh, and also for sports betting, and he says he would take the revenue generated from that and apply that to the uh, the pension situation that we have uh, in Kentucky. <clears throat> Uh, you have indicated that uh, you've been for it before, you have voted for that, but you're not sure that would move through the legislature. Well, I'm just being realistic with the people of Kentucky, Bill. 
that uh, item, that issue has been on the table for a long, long time. It should have passed 10, 12 years ago. Uh, but uh, the proposal he is making is a proposal that can't pass the Kentucky General Assembly. We have super majorities in both chambers of Republicans. They've refused to pass it, even when we passed it through the House, when we controlled it as Democrats. It went to the Republican Senate, and they killed that measure. All I'm saying, that's fine of that streamline of money that would be produced to go help t take care of the pensions. That's fine. But here, let's be realistic. Don't bring an unrealistic proposal and th float it out to the people of Kentucky, even though it may be a good idea. It's something that cannot pass the Kentucky General Assembly, or it hasn't passed over the last how many years now that it's been a proposal on the table. Do you believe that uh, the, the pension system needs a dedicated revenue source? Oh, there's no question about that. There's no question about that. And I think that we indicated that when we passed uh, the bipartisan, bipartisan reforms of 2013. I was there when we controlled the House, Senate controlled by Republicans, and we passed a measure in 2013 that was true reform. It was done bipartisan. It was done with stakeholders at the table. Any reform, that's what needs to happen. Bipartisan stakeholders at the table. That's what we did in 2013, and it's working, Bill. That's what's good about it. It's working. Do you give this governor uh, credit for uh, focusing uh, like a laser on this issue of uh, the, the pension uh, situation in Kentucky, uh, where uh, you know we apparently owe $40 billion that, that we don't have? Uh, is his uh, focus on that appropriate, or do you think that... Uh, uh, he has put so much emphasis on that that uh, other parts of state government uh, have <clears throat> suffered. Well, I think his fo focus may be uh, appropriate, but the way he's approached it is entirely wrong. It's been a, an approach as let's go in a side room and let's take a bill and put a 291-page bill uh, on a piece of legislation that turned into a sewer bill that was passed through the House and the Senate and on his desk in less than six hours. That's not the way you approach complicated, complex issues. You bring about bipartisan support. You get stakeholders at the table if you want to really pass meaningful reforms that will get people on board. Thousands of people have marched upon Frankfurt, teachers, working families that have come there. And that approach of stirring up that controversy in a way he, he has didn't have to happen. The name calling of teachers being thugs and ignorant and all of that is inappropriate for anyone, especially a governor. So his approach on this issue has been entirely wrong. The focus on this issue may be correct, but if you want to get something done, you do it with bipartisan support, you do it with stakeholders around the table, and other reforms I've been involved in, you've had success. You've got to have public buy-in to be able to do major reforms. So any tweaks that would be done to the reforms of 2013 need to be done in a bipartisan way. And they need to be done with stakeholders at the table. With Rocky Adkins, Democratic candidate for governor, who is currently the House Minority Leader, we're coming back on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Our remaining minutes here with uh, Rocky Adkins, candidate for governor on the Democratic side in a three-way primary that uh, is coming up. Uh, where do you see yourself positioned in the, for that primary now less than a month away? Well, I feel really uh, good about where we are right now. You know, I'm an old point guard, Bill, and you can kind of sense momentum. you kind of got to feel for the game, and I really feel good about where we are right now. We've started our media on TV, and uh, we're starting to get really good feedback from that. Our fundraising has gone 
uh, really, really well. And, and again, I'm really encouraged by our uh, strong organization that we have in all 120 counties. It's all about turnout. It's all about getting folks out to vote. And, you know, the reception that I'm receiving when I'm out in public is, uh, is really overwhelming. Of People say, Rocky, we're going to be for you. You're the guy that can win in November. You're the guy that can beat Matt Bevin. You're the moderate, common sense, middle of the road guy in this race. We're going to be for you. Governor Bevin has already uh, tried out a couple of lines on uh, you, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, saying that you have been in the legislature since the 1980s. Uh, how do you escape the charge, uh, Representative Adkins, that you were there when some of these problems cropped up? You know, uh, Bill, I'm one of uh, 138, but I will tell you this, I'm proud of my public service. I really am. I'm proud of the time I've spent fighting for uh, quality public education in Kentucky. I'm proud of the time of standing up and fighting for working families. I'm proud of my time of uh, being the budget chair for transportation, serving in leadership as I have to appropriate money to invest back into infrastructure, roads, bridges, water and sewer all across Kentucky. So. What this uh, term of uh, my service means is that people have approved of my job. And that's the reason I'm the most qualified person to be governor. I have been tested and tried. There's no better place to be uh, really trained to be a governor better than the House chamber, debating the issues on a daily basis and really understanding how it works within that chamber to get things done. I bring that seasoned experience and that proven leadership that's gotten results. So. Really, the uh, time that I have served has really given me the qualities that I need to be a good governor, and my public service is something that I'm very proud of and very proud to defend on any street corner against Matt Bevin across this Commonwealth of Kentucky. As you know, the national economy is strong right is. now, and there, there are you know, some good indications uh, throughout the country, but revenue in Kentucky is not keeping up. True. Uh, we face a shortfall in this uh, cycle uh, this uh, with this budget and uh, we face uh, some big challenges next year when there will be an attempt to uh, fund the, the school safety bill and some other things it's a budget year that's coming up yes uh, how can Kentucky uh, pay its bills without a substantial revenue enhancement well there's no question that we need uh, revenue enhancement there's no question we need modernization of our of our tax codes in Kentucky there's no question uh, but I'd say one place that we can start is that we need to look at the $13 billion of tax loopholes and exemptions in Kentucky, which is $2 billion more than our entire general fund budget. That is a place I believe we could start in a, non, a very uh, nonpartisan way, uh, bipartisan, and, and really look at that issue. If we could only find 10% of that $13 billion, not hurting business and industry in any shape, form, or fashion, but look at what's not working anymore. And if we could only find 10% of that $13 billion, it'd be $1.3 billion immediately to help public education, to help this budget, and to help the pensions as well. You would hope we could have a growing economy that would create more revenue, like the aerospace industry that we need to take into rural parts of the state, the number one export industry in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, a $12.5 billion industry that EKU has its aviation school, Moorhead State University Space Science Center. We have an opportunity to diversify economies, create good jobs, and create an economy that will produce the kind of jobs our people need and deserve. Another of your opponents, Adam Edelin, says lobbyists have too much power in Frankfurt. You've been there. They've knocked on your door many times. Uh, do you feel that, that there's too much influence from uh, moneyed interests in uh, what becomes
becomes public policy? Well, what I can say to you is just part of the process. It is what it is. Uh, lobbyists only have the influence upon you that you allow them to have. I have used them as an educational tool for me to be able to really ask about the issue, what it really means. You know who you can trust there. You know who you can't. Your bond is your word. So I've really used the lobbyists there uh, as an informa informational tool for me, an educational tool to really tell me why they're for this issue and bring in the other side and tell me why they're against it. It helps me to be able to make sound decisions, to be very honest with you. So uh, whether there's too, too many, too less, that's uh, hard for me to judge. There's a lot of lobbyists there on a lot of different issues, whether it be a business issue or whether it be to try to get back for some of our nonprofits where they were paying a tax and you had to have people there to try to straighten that up as well. So uh, there's no question that uh, you have to handle that situation. Uh, being a veteran member, I just look at them as part of the crowd over there, to be very honest. You've had a long association with Moorhead State University. Uh, universities, uh, the public universities have been cut for 11 straight years now. Uh, they've eliminated programs, laid off people, uh, sort of realigned themselves. Uh, some say for the better because now they're they're more, uh, you know, ready to deal with the, with the future. Uh, but are you concerned with the, the the continuous cuts that those universities have faced, and then they have gone and raised tuition to try to make well, those up? I'm very concerned. We have got to have more money in public education at every level. But if you take a university like I graduated from, a university in my legislative district, like Moorhead State University, a university that serves the mountains, a region that needs help the most. I'm from eastern Kentucky, and we need to diversify our economy. We need to grow our economy. We need to bring back hope and opportunity. And I know Moorhead State University is going to play a vital role in that. But when they're suffering from trying to keep their enrollment where it is, a downturn uh, in enrollment from time to time, and still trying to provide the services and the curriculum and educational opportunities, it's very, very hard. And then when you have performance-based funding come on top of that, with a 6.25% cut, 31 million more dollars out of the base of higher education. You got all the universities basically competing for that same uh, pot of money when you've got universities that are doing their own job, like the comprehensive, have got a specific role. There's no question, we gotta get more money into higher education. The increase in tuition is nothing more than a tax uh, increase on the backs of working families. We gotta get more money into higher ed, all levels of education. We gotta be looked at as the world-class education system in this global economy if we want to be able to compete and recruit the business and industry and, and basically bring about a 21st century economy and a 21st century workforce. Rocky Adkins, Democratic candidate for governor, thanks for coming. Thank Appreciate you, Bill. It it's much. good to be here. Thank you. And keep it with us. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. May is Older Americans Month, and Jeff Rubin is here to talk about that. He's a community activist who pushes for inclusion and collaboration among the generations. He's also taking note of the many responsibilities that grandparents are taking on these days. Jeff, it's good to see you. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So this applies to all of us. We're all getting older. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, you have, have encouraged people to engage at every age. Yes. Uh, and yet, we have issues mm -hmm. right now, right? Very much so. Uh, we have a, a dramatically increasing aging population, and, uh, and we're not prepared to address the needs of that population. You know, uh, as you mentioned, uh, May is Old Americans Month. Well, we started Old Americans Month back in 1963. There were 17 million 
older adults, 65 and older at that time, and a third of those adults were at the poverty level or, 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 or lower. Uh, today, in 2020, 55 million people are 65 or older, and in 10 years, there'll be 75 million people. And we don't talk about this. We have a math problem. We have a math problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you've been encouraging uh, communities and uh, even uh, the state to, mm -hmm. to get involved, to, to look at uh, it's a myriad of issues. And mm -hmm. as you've pointed out to me, uh, this affects uh, every aspect of life. Oh, sure. I don't think there's any sector of our society that isn't being impacted in some form or fashion by aging uh, and, and age discrimination. Uh, but if we see someone as old, we tend to marginalize that person in terms of their, their input and productivity. And I maintain that the most abundant resource we have in any community is human capital. And yet, in a time of great need, why are we continuing to marginalize people at both ends of the spectrum? And that's what we're doing. So uh, Throwing away wisdom, as you say in this, this book you have called Wisdom of Age uh, yes. that uh, is, is out there and uh, available for uh, folks to pick up, and there's a screenshot of it, uh, goes into that and talks about the perceptions of uh, one generation to another, and, that it, and we can do much better. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, when we talk about age discrimination and ageism, we think of it in terms of just the elderly. It's not. It's discrimination against any age group. Uh, and so the young are, are shunted aside as well as the old. Uh, yet we, the, we have seen that the young people can make a major difference in what's happening in this country vis-a-vis -vis what happened in Florida. Uh, they were able to get gun legislation passed when other uh, adults were unable to do so. Uh, and yet, again, we don't look at them as having the value or able to contribute at the community level. The Kentucky legislature passed two resolutions that acknowledge the importance of uh, older Kentuckians. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Do you have uh, copies there? Yes, I do. Uh, I'm very proud of this because uh, it's the first time that we're acknowledging the fact that we have an aging population in Kentucky. Uh, this one resolution says that we would like Kentucky to move towards becoming an age-friendly Kentucky, which age-friendly is part of a, a worldwide uh, movement to make communities more age-ready and age-relevant. The second one was to address substance abuse among older populations. Yeah, what's, what's little known is that we have a crisis situation in Appalachia among older adults who are addicted to, to uh, substance issues, uh, substance abuse issues. And uh, we're not talking about it. We think only in terms of young people as, as being addicted. And if we only think in terms of young people, we're missing out on 78 million boomers who are from an era when drugs were not uh, foreign to them. What can <laughs> communities do better in Kentucky uh, to, to address the myriad of uh, age-related issues? I will tell you that I have a good friend of mine who was in state government for many, many years, who passed away recently at the age of 89. He was a firm believer in things happening at the community level. And in, in passing away, his family uh, said, in lieu of flowers, we would like, like people to engage in conversation about these issues. And I think the best way you begin to change things is by bringing it into the, into the uh, parlor and having these kinds of conversation. 
and in this day and age, we're doing less of that, not more. You've made note that grandparents are doing more and playing greater roles uh, than ever before for a variety of reasons. Uh, uh, what uh, is, uh, you know, that's because of societal changes in mm -hmm. many ways, but it also brings on challenges. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it brings on challenges because think of yourself in terms of, of, of being in your, your 60s, 70s, or 80s, and suddenly, without warning, having to take care of teenagers. And, uh, and why? Because of, of marital uh, discourse, uh, drug addiction, incarceration, and yet they're not being compensated in any way for their being the role model, if you will, and the main bread winner or supporter for their grandchildren. And you think about it, if something happened to the grandparent, say they broke a hip or what have you, what happens to that grandchild? Do they go back to the situation they were in or do they go into a foster care situation? Which is less costly to the state? Yeah. So, Gentrification of our neighborhoods can mean that older residents are uh, pushed out or the taxes go up to the point that they can't afford to live yeah. uh, where they uh, spent uh, a great deal of their uh, years. Uh, is that an, an area of concern? Oh, affordable housing is a major area of concern, not just among elders, but among young people as well. In Berea, where I live, uh, it's as difficult for young people to find affordable housing as it is for older people. And so uh, there are people who, when they're talking about these issues, are beginning to look at creative ways that people can come up with communal living situations or bring together young people and older people where both can benefit. Again, comes out of conversation. We're just not looking at it. How do we make sure that that, uh, that, that wisdom and the voices of, uh, of older Americans is heard and as you have uh, opened our eyes to, that, that they also hear the younger voices? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. First of all, you know, part, part, of, part of age discrimination is self-fulfilling because anytime you hear someone say, uh, you know when you get to be my age or you know I'm having a senior moment, you're, you're uh, advancing uh, that discrimination in your own mind. And there are studies done about how we view aging as how it affects our health and our longevity of life. Jeff, thank you so much for coming. Jeff, Thank you. It. What a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. Make it a good week ahead.